Uh, Luke and Amanda, you sure you don't want to change your mind? Uh, we prayed for Luke when he went off and joined the Navy, but he just wants us to keep praying for him. Uh, this is Luke and Amanda's last Sunday with us. They're moving to Pensacola. He's stationed down there. Uh, we want to pray for you. So come over here. Bring Virginia. These are our kids. I remember when Luke was like this. And I don't know why, but I thought he was a real stinker. But, but I was wrong. I'm happy to say I was wrong. <laughs> um, let's do this. Uh, I, I, this may, I may end up regretting it when I see the crowd. But if, you, uh, if, you, if you've been in the military and stationed elsewhere, would you come up and gather around them? Would you guys step out and let them just, uh, if you've been in the military, would you just uh, gather around them and pray for them? Because you know what it's like to be told you're going to go over there and live for a while. And... Uh, And would the rest of you just stand and stretch your hands out this way? Father, I thank you for this couple. I thank you not only for uh, the decision that, that Luke has made in terms of serving his country, but, and I know that that's a family decision. That's not an individual decision anymore. But Lord, I thank you because of the more important decision that they have made to follow you and commit their lives to you. I pray, Lord God, that they would find a, a caring community of believers that they would be able to just plug right into. That, Lord, when they, when they come back here, and I'm speaking by faith, when they come back here, that it'll be as hard to leave there as it was to leave here. Uh, I pray, Father, that you would just go before them, provide for them. Pray that you would provide protection, that you would provide um, the body of Christ to surround them and comfort them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Fred, surgery is tomorrow. Thank you. Okay. So you want to be sure and hug them before you go uh, today. And then also, uh, before you go, you need to stop by the well and bid on that, some of the silent auction stuff. All of the proceeds, well, I say all of it, they're going to tithe, I think, to uh, the Japanese relief effort. But uh, uh, all the rest of the proceeds are going to go directly to Degree 180's uh, mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And you may go, well, the Dominican Republic, they don't have it too bad down there. They don't necessarily uh, need what we got. Uh, This isn't about that. the Lord knows why he's sending them, and he's got somebody down there who needs some stuff. But the real reason why they're going is because it's going to change every one of their lives. That's what mission trips do. They change your life. And that's very important. And that's very important for us. So, you know, there's some good stuff there. Go, go bid on it and, uh, and then give them a tip after you win. That, that, would be, that would be good, too. And I don't mean Seabiscuit in the fourth. I mean, you know, some more. (laughs) 
It's the beginning of Holy Week, Palm Sunday. And we're going to approach Palm Sunday from a little bit different uh, place than where normally you go, or normally I've gone, uh, in terms of the, the verses of Scripture. But it is definitely connected to Palm Sunday. And we're going to find out how here in a minute. Would you stand with me? We're going to read from John chapter 20, a brief passage. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name today. I pray that you would be present in this place, that you would be exalted, that you would be lifted up, that the Holy Spirit would combine with your word to produce your image in your people. So I pray that we would listen and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. (coughs) I said that this uh, isn't normally a a Palm Sunday passage, but really it's connected to it. These Greeks seemingly sort of came out of nowhere. Now, we don't know. They may have been Greeks who were converts to, to Judaism. They may have been Jews who were living in Greece. The implication is, though, they were, they were Greeks, and they had just come. They'd come to see what was going on. Uh, this event takes place, we don't know if it was the same day, but if not, it was very close after, takes place. Uh, Jesus has just entered Jerusalem, and they have, they've, they've seen the crowd go wild. I mean, Jesus entered Jerusalem, the little children have run through the temple, uh, yelling, Hosanna to the son of David. Um, what, what, what else happened that, that week? The, the money changers, their, their tables were overthrown. Uh, they were exploiting and, and uh, ripping off the people. Things, things, some things never change. Uh, and so Jesus had, had done that. And seemingly out of nowhere, out of left field, these, some Greeks materialize. And they just come along and they go, we want to see Jesus. And they go to, to Andrew, and, and no, they go to Philip, and Philip takes them to Andrew, and they both go and, and come to Jesus. And Jesus seems to just kind of shoot off on this tangent, somewhere talking about wheat and, and glorified and the hour or something like that. I mean, they're asking if these people can come and see him. What's that all about? How many of you have noticed that there are a number of times in Scripture that people say something to Jesus or they, or they do something, and what Jesus says 
doesn't seem to have anything to do with what just got asked or what just happened. You ever notice that? Yeah. And the rest of you, you read the Bible? Because it's in there pretty frequently. And we have trouble with that. We don't like that. We're okay with that in television shows. I mean, seriously. Lost and Doctor Who and things. They don't answer questions. They ask questions. They ask questions that we get to sit around and talk about and go, Ooh, what do you think the smoke monster is? You know, get to talk about that kind of stuff. Uh, and we're cool with that. But when it comes to the Bible and we come across one of those passages, we go, oh, the Bible's just too hard to understand. Uh. Oh, come on, people. You watch television and you're okay with it. Read the Bible. Figure Think about it. Talk, talk about it to each other. And sometimes, because we like these neat, wrapped up, pat answers, we'll create some mythological dogma that is the answer to something. Well, I don't have that for you today, but I think I've got a pretty good explanation for what is happening here. And if you'll stick with me to the end of the sermon, I'll tell you what it is. But in the meantime, I'd like to examine some of these things that Jesus has to say as he seemingly shot off on this tangent somewhere because they're all very important, and especially on a week like this. Holy Week. When we should be thinking about some things. Maybe thinking about the things that Jesus was thinking about. And he starts off by saying the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now Jesus clearly knew what was ahead. He was not disillusioned to any degree. He was not thinking, wow, that was quite an entry that I made. And, you know, I think maybe they're going to they're select me. You know, no, he knew. In fact, he had told, he told the disciples over in Matthew 26, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Why'd they know that? Well, they knew that because he'd been telling them. Been telling them for a long time now. You know, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected by the chief priest and the, and the Jews. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. He knew what was coming. And yet he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus often spoke of the cross in, in glowing terms. He, he never really spoke of it in terms of, oh man, I gotta, uh, gotta go to the cross. I mean, it's gonna be unjust, it's gonna hurt. Uh. No, he, he, he talked about being lifted up. Three times, I think, actually, he referred to the cross as being lifted up. In fact, he told Nicodemus early on in his ministry that, uh, that the Son of Man must be lifted up. And when he does, he'll draw all men unto himself. And then, he, and then he said that a couple of other times to the Jews. I mean, who thinks of being nailed to a cross and plopped into the ground and hanging there naked in front of the whole world as being lifted up? Jesus did. And five times John refers to what was going to happen, him going to the cross, uh, with, with the term glorified. He was glorified to describe what really happened on the cross. To the world's eyes, it didn't look like glorification at all. It looked like degradation. 
It looked like humiliation. It looked like anything but being glorified. But yet, you know, when I was looking, when I was looking for a, a background image for this, uh, for the cross thing, I, I like purple. Uh, and so I just came up with one. But, you know, I, I mean, I, I understand. I get it. I like the, uh, I mean, I can get into the, the horrific images sometimes that you see of the cross. But I also love those, those beautifully, intricately carved ones with the gold filigree and, you know, light shooting out from them everywhere because while the one is what the world actually saw, the other is what was actually happening. It's what was really going on. And here's the thing, if, if the Almighty can allow that to happen to His Son, allow His Son to be unjustly judged and tortured to death, and can turn that into magnificent glory that brings about the redemption of the earth and brings about the the reconciliation of of countless souls to God. If, If he can do that with that, then anything that's going on in my life that I'm willing to give to him, he'll glorify it. He'll glorify it. I mean, there might be some really tough stuff going on in, in your life. But you got a couple of choices here. You can, you can deal with it and try and make something out of it. Or you can give it to Him. And he can glorify. I haven't managed to glorify anything that I've tried to do yet. But everything I've given to Him. And then Jesus goes on to say, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This is, uh, this is important. This is foundational. This is something that's important to, to get down into your spirit and, and realize this works across the board and everything. I, I said this last week, I think I said it in this service, maybe I said it in the second service, I'm getting old. I remember Harding Mall. Uh, I don't know what a record story is, though. But, uh, but Margaret and I went on vacation for a couple of days. We went to um, Asheville and we went to the Biltmore. How many of you have been to the Biltmore? It's a cool place. It really is. I like the grounds. I mean, the house is cool, but the grounds, Wow. Uh, and, and you find out when you go there, uh, why Vanderbilt University has, this, has the acorn as its symbol because uh, the Biltmore was built by one of the Vanderbilts and, and that, was, that was their family symbol. It stood for strength. But you know what? An acorn in and of itself is not very strong. When I go walking peanut in the morning, there are acorns laying on the ground. I step on those things and they go. <laughs> I mean, it's like a cicada or something. I mean, they're not strong. Yeah. One of the things I like about the grounds, though, there, you know, you walk around and you, and you come up on these trees that you just go, oh, I want one of those. This is, this is magnificent. It's, it's beautiful. It's big. But, you know, no matter, what it, no matter what kind of tree it is, no matter how big it is, it didn't start out like that. It started out as something about like that. 
And if an acorn decides that all it's ever going to be is an acorn and I am going to hang on to my acornness, come what may, then it better look out if I get ready to step on it. But if it's willing to fall into the ground and die, ooh, then it can become something that I better look out if it gets ready to step on me. Same thing with corn. When, when, I, uh, when I think of corn, I think of my dad. Because my dad loved corn. And, and he, he, <laughs> he, liked, he liked roasting in ears, field corn. He didn't like this sissy corn you get in a grocery store that's, you know, you just kind of, you know, he wants something you can crunch when you, when you bit into it. You know, he, he, he liked it. But, the thing, but, you know, corn, I mean, it's a little bitty, little bitty kernel thing. And you put that thing in the ground and it dies. You leave it out, it, it might get eaten. But if you put it in the ground and it dies, it becomes this, this big green thing that's taller than, than people. And it's got, it's got all kinds of ears sticking out of it. And it's got hundreds of those little yellow things or white things or whatever color they may happen to be on it. Because that's what happens when you're willing to die. And when Jesus died on the cross, He was the only begotten Son of God. He not only was the only begotten son of God, he was the only member of God's family. Really, I, you know, you hear, well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. We're all God's creation. Some are God's children. Quite frankly, he loves us all. But Jesus was the only one. He was the only begotten, and he's the only one that can be begotten because he is everything that God has to say. He can't just beget some more children because everything he has to say is already in this one. There isn't anything left over. So the only way he's going to get any more kids, the only way the family was going to grow was through adoption. And for that to happen, that had to happen. A kernel of wheat has to fall into the ground and die. If it doesn't, it remains alone. But if it does then it produces much fruit, produces many seeds. It's the same with us. We ain't seen nothing yet, quite frankly. I mean, yeah, Jesus has died on the cross and millions, even billions of people have moved into the family of God, but we hadn't really seen what, what, this is, what the end of this thing is all about yet because we don't know what we're going to be yet, quite frankly. The scripture tells us over in 1 John chapter 3 that what we, it, it, it does not, we do not yet know what we shall be like, but we know this, that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When John saw him as he is, he saw his eyes blazing like fire and on his head many kingly crowns and a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth and, 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 a, and a body like burnished bronze. I mean, yeah. I don't know what we're going to be, but it's going to be, it's going to be grand. And there's going to be more of them than we, than, we, than we can imagine. All because Jesus did that. And then Jesus goes on to say something else that is absolutely essential in terms of being foundational and something we need to, to keep in mind. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. How do we try to hold on to life? 
I mean, we all know that eventually we're going to leave this, this life, but we, we try to hold on to it in a lot of ways. And, and three of them I've got here today that I want to share. One of them is we, we try to hold on to life through things. I had a friend a number of years ago who was talking about his house and he referred to it as the thing dome. And I thought, I've got one of those. And I know exactly what he's saying. You know, the, when my parents died, and my parents weren't great hoarders, but when they died and, and we went in to sort the house out and to clean the house out, Really? I mean, that's a big job. Because there's a lot of stuff there. And I'm at an age, Margaret's not, she's a lot younger. But I'm at an age, you know, where I'm looking around the house and going, I got to get rid of some of this stuff. I mean, my kids don't need to spend a month after I'm gone sorting this out. They really don't. And the truth of the matter is, it's not just the stuff in the house. I got an iPod Touch, and it's got like 80 or 90 apps on it. I don't know what 50 of them do. <laughs> why don't I get rid of those things? Why don't, I, why don't I erase them? We try to hold on to things. How many of you know who this is? Okay, this is amazing. But actually, I love it. Uh, And I was going to say, if you know who this is, then you're old enough to remember Harding Mall. Uh, But this guy, his name is J. Paul Getty. It's a young picture of him. Oh, a couple of Oz. Well, let let me give you another one here. How many of you know who Paul Getty is? J. Paul Getty. (laughs) Yeah, I wish you were up here. You'd see that you're old. <laughs> when I was growing up, J. Paul Getty was worldwide famous because he was the richest man in the world. I mean, you really didn't say Howard Hughes. You said J. Paul Getty. That's, that's what it was. And now you don't even know who he is. You people don't even know who he is. Come on, what's wrong with you? You know, this isn't that long ago. I was alive when he was famous. You should know these things. That's how you hold on to life. When we went to the Biltmore, beautiful, beautiful place. The guy who built it was a guy named George W. Vanderbilt. And he got to live there for 18 years before he died at the age of 52. from Complications of an appendectomy. You know, and some of you are sitting out there thinking, 18 years, that's not too bad. Yeah. But those who are thinking that don't remember Harding Mall, our record stores. Those of you who are old enough to remember those other things are kind of going, really? Only 18 years? Man. Goes by just like that. I mean, to pour everything into something, into buying 20, 120,000 acres of land and building the biggest house in America on it, and you only get to spend 18 years there. Hmm. My, one of my favorite bumper stickers of all time is a playoff of another bumper sticker. It, this one's my favorite because it's true. The other one is a lie. And it's the one that says, 
He who dies with the most toys still dies. Still dies. They don't win. There's no prize at the end. Still gone. But that's one of the ways that we try to hold on to life. Another way that we try to hold on to life is health. Now, I'm not being a health nut, you know. Uh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to take care of your health. Please, uh, take care of your health because you want to enjoy the time you're here. But it ain't going to work, ultimately. I mean, you know who this guy is. I mean, if you can read the thing, you know his name's Jim. Okay, we got one guy who knows? Yeah, Jim Fix. How many of you know who Jim Fix was? You know I've got to accuse you of being old, right? <laughs> okay. Jim Fix, for, for you young whippersnappers, was, uh, was the guy who started the running craze uh, in the United States back in the 70s. And now some of you are going, there's a running craze? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. Some people go, get out and run. And, and he's really the kind of, he's the guy who sort of popularized it. Uh, he wrote a book called The Complete Book of Running, and it was a huge, it was a runaway bestseller. Ha <laughs> And I'm so clever. <laughs> Not really. But, uh, and then on uh, July the 20th, 1984, after going out for his morning run, he dropped dead of a heart attack at the age of 52. Now, it wasn't because he was running. That was good he was running. But it was because this, it, you can't hold on to it. There's a verse that many of you probably don't even know is in the Bible. But it says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. And then maybe one other thing that we used to try and hold on to this life, and that's power. You may kind of go... Really? It's, it's, it's the hooks that this life gets in us. That, that's what I'm talking about here. So hooks. These guys, some of them you'll know. Probably the young people know the guy with the mustache. That's... Okay, I mean, the early service knew a whole lot more. But that... Okay, and then the next guy is... Napoleon Bonaparte, yes. And the next guy is... Woo, you guys are, are you really are old. Uh, <laughs> does anybody know the next guy? Alexander the Great. Yeah. All of these guys, one of the things that these guys have in common was that they all controlled these vast armies and by doing so controlled vast swaths of, of land, even continent-sized swaths of land. The only other thing that they have in common yeah, they're all dead. <laughs> because power won't do it for you. You may go, well, I'm not, really, I'm not really looking to control an army or anything. That doesn't mean that you're not after power. You, you can do that. You can play that game in your office. You, you can play that game at school. You can play that game at home, quite frankly. And these are the, these are the hooks that get into our lives from, from this life that that we try to hold on to this life with and, and it holds on to us is really what's happening. But if we'll live our life with our eyes on the next life, oh my. 
There's only one, the Bible has a lot to say about fools, especially in Proverbs and, and Ecclesiastes. It says a whole lot about, it tells you a lot about what fools do and what they think and what happens to them and stuff like that. And it, it's kind of discouraging to read it at times because it, <laughs> but there's only one time in the Bible that God in the first person comes to somebody and says, you fool. And that's over in Luke chapter 12. It's a man who had such a huge harvest and he wondered what to do with it. And he said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear these barns down and build bigger ones. And then I'm going to say to myself, you've got plenty of stuff for years. Just, just take it easy. Life's, life is good. And God said, you fool. To the man whose focus was entirely on this life and not on the one to come. My friend Phil Nelson up in uh, Chicago describes it this way, this, this life and the next life, and trying to hold on to this life. He says, it's like going to a, a covered dish and you bring a, a rumpled sack with a, a, a three-week-old peanut butter sandwich in it. And God has this table. And it's got, oh, what, whatever. You know, it's got fried chicken on it. It's got prime rib. It's got pork chops. It's got pecan pie. It's got ice cream. It's got even vegetables are on this thing. Whatever you could want. And God's saying, come on, let's just put our meals together. You know, we're going, "Uh, what will I do without my peanut butter sandwich? That's what holding on to this life is like. That's what it's all about. And God's going, come on. He who tries to hold on to this life's going to lose it. But if you let go, you can have your peanut butter sandwich and this stuff. And Jesus said, Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus had to admit that his heart was troubled. And what lay ahead. Glorification, yeah. But this 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 is gonna be hard. But he's not about to bail just because it's gonna be hard. You see. Jesus is tried, he's tempted in all ways such as we are, and sometimes our hearts are troubled, and his heart was troubled. But he wasn't going to bail because this was the very reason that he came. So how can I come to this point, the reason why I came, and go, uh, no. Why are you here? Why, why did you come? Why, why were you put on this planet? Why were you, why were you made a, a part of the human race? Our reason for being here is to know God. 
you, you may say, well, I, I, what we're supposed to serve and we're supposed to uh, obey and all that. Yeah, yeah, but you can't do those things till you know Him. You're here to know God. See, if you try to serve God without knowing Him, that's like trying to help the little old lady across the street who doesn't want to cross the street. You don't know what you're supposed to do until you get to know Him. And that's what we're here for. And, and uh, Micah tells us in Micah 6, 8, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. That's why you're here. You're not here to kill a commie for Christ or make a million for Christ. You're here to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's what, and if you, can, if you can reduce life down to that formula, that's beautiful. It's so beautiful. I mean, there are, there, are, there are ugly things that happen. There are things that will break your heart that happen, but it's still beautiful. It's marvelous. It's fantastic. Everything else is secondary. For this reason, I came. And now that I'm here, I'm not going to bail. I'm going to walk through it. So what about these Greeks? It's, you know, when you, when you first read it, or when I first read it, I'm, I'm thinking, where did these guys come from? What are they doing here? And the truth of the matter is, they probably are tourists. They're probably uh, visitors. I mean, you know, and they're probably pretty well-to-do because, uh, you know, in those days in particular, you had to... People who weren't well-to-do didn't tourist. They stayed home and tried to find the next meal. And so they're there. You know, this is the, this is the great feast at Jerusalem. Uh, they say that Jerusalem's population went from around twenty or 30,000 to almost 2 million during the feast. Now that's who, that's big. That's something. And so they're there, and, they're, and they've come to see the feast, and then all of a sudden, there's this big uprising happening. This guy is coming into town, and everybody goes crazy. You know, and they're just kind of going, wow, who is that? And so they start asking around. Who is that? Oh, that's Jesus. Yeah. Well, why is everybody going so crazy? Oh, listen, he heals the sick. He raises the dead. He opens blind eyes. He casts out demons. He teaches. You ought to hear him teach. I mean, Wow. When he teaches, yeah, you could sit there all day. Sometimes he feeds you after he gets through teaching too. <laughs> and so, yeah, they they go to to Philip and go. Um, we'd like to meet him. We, we'd like to talk to him. Philip goes to Andrew and and I, you know, here again, this isn't dogma. I'm just telling you what I think. I think they then go to Jesus. With an offer. Too good to refuse. <laughs> they go to Jesus and probably meet him and go, hey, Jesus, wow, that was, that was some entrance. I mean, that was something. And, you know, we've heard great things about you. We're from <clears throat> Athens. And uh, we're movers and shakers back in Athens. 
In fact, we represent some of the biggest names in philosophy these days. And uh, you know what? I, we think you got what it takes. We think you could really make it in Athens. Because you see, uh, as Paul is going to write later on in the book of Acts, all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spend their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And you, you got some ideas. And if you want those ideas spread, Jerusalem's not the place to do it. Athens is the place to do it. And not only that, we confront you a pretty nice advance. So you want some money and things and wealth to hold on to the world. You want power, which is another word for influence. This is a place to go to get it. And as far as health is concerned, your health's going to be a whole lot better in Athens than it's going to be here this week. And it would be so easy to rationalize and to even say, well, you know, I, I want people to go to Athens. And well, if you want people to go to Athens, you need to be willing to go yourself. Don't just send Paul there. Won't you go? And so I personally feel like these were the things that were going through Jesus' mind when he said, now has the time come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And for God to be glorified through him. A kernel of wheat, unless it's willing to die, remains alone. But if it falls into the ground and is willing to die, then, then it becomes many. The man who loves his life will lose it. Well, the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? It's what these guys are offering. No. For this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Stand with me. All I once held dear, built my life upon. All this world reveals and wars to own. All I once thought gained, I have
those people who are coming to your hour, you're dreading it. Maybe you've just gone through it. You're still looking for the glory. Or just maybe you just came today and you need a prayer. You know. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. You need prayer. This is it's a wonderful time of the year to give your life to Jesus, man. I remember the first Easter after I gave my life to the Lord. It had been about a, it was about a month later. Woo! Boy, did that was that exciting. If you need prayer, you come. We're gonna we're gonna worship. We're gonna create an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna pray, and God's gonna answer. Now
and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who sent his son into the world for a reason and with a purpose and who has adopted you as his child to be sent forth for a reason and with purpose may that purpose be fulfilled in your life this week may you know him rich and deep powerful way through Jesus Christ our Lord Amen. let me uh, also remind you silent auction you don't have to have the money this week